Hello, and welcome to the King Hero IndyCar Podcast with Kirby and Justin. Kirby, how are you? Doing well, Justin. How about yourself? I'm excited. I think uh, the most wonderful thing about our podcast is we keep reinventing ourselves, Kirby. Is that right? Not going to go over the, the issues of the day, right? We're not going to talk about Callum Eilat. We're not going to talk about the Dale Coin money grab. We're not going to talk about any of that. Only if it's tangentially related to our mission today. And we've referred to this in our previous few co- podcasts, but um, just to, for those of you who didn't listen to the previous few, first shame on you. What we're going to do is Kirby and I both went off on our, into our own rooms. There's no uh, comparing of our papers. There's been no, Kirby, and you can confirm this, no conversation regarding what we're going to put in our five-point plan for IndyCar, the five-point plan for IndyCar uh, survival and thrive. Thrival. Is that a word? Probably not. <laughs> um, but, I, but I like it. Survival and thrival. Well, thrive, right? Survive and thrive? Survive and thrive. Yeah. Yeah. So we've, we've, we've independently done this and come up with our own list. Now, our list, for all I know, are the same five points. So I'm sure there'll be some overlap. Well, I would be shocked if you have a couple of the same points I do. Let me just say that. I'm confident you got one or two that uh, are insightful but but uh, overlooked. And um, and I'm also confident your plan is probably more detailed than mine. Curb, I'm trying to think of the best way to go about this. My, I have one through five, and one is the least important, and then they get more important as they go along. And then maybe what we'll do is just go back and forth, Okay. And if you happen to pick one of mine or I happen to pick one of yours, then we can just combine those as a point. Money's no object, right? I mean, we're we're entirely comfortable spending Roger Penske's money. Yes, money has to be it has to be realistic. This is our white paper. This is our Dan, Dan Gurney white paper. Right. Audio. So no, it can't be like, oh, you just need to spend eight hundred million on this. Right? It has to well, be sure, but it has to be where he's spending money where he can reasonably respect a return on that money. Right. Make reasonable investments um, for the health of the sport and his potential return in the long run. Yes. All right, Kurt, let's get on with it. I'm going to allow you to go first. Pick your least important point of their five-point plan for the survival and thrival of IndyCar. Survive and thrive. Forget the, uh, forget the, yeah. forget the ALs at the end. All right, least important here may be uh, a new car. Uh, you don't have to have that new car next year. You can um, try to mitigate the, the cost burden on your teams, but uh, you at least need to make a plan and announce a plan and stick to the plan for a new car. Isn't that amazing? Uh, the exact same as my number one. Meaning think, on, the and, list, and, and, on the list, but least important? Yes, correct. Right, okay. We're uh, very in line so far, Curb. Let's just say I agree. And and let's, just to clarify, when you say new car, we're talking chassis, right? We're talking. Right. Um, I I would put chassis with flexibility to receive different types of power units. So like if they're going to design a chassis, leave enough space to accommodate a couple of different configurations, right? And make it easy for somebody to, you know, put something different or unique in. I think we both agree that, I mean, the, the current car has been Frankenstein so much, and now it's going through a m- massive Frankenstein again uh, to accommodate the hybrid system. It's overweight. 
you know, the arrow screen, while, you know, everybody's heralded uh, its magnificence, it's not, an, it was not an integral part of the original design, and therefore it's uh, bulky and not kind of how it should be. And uh, there's a lot of weight to be saved in a new car. There's just excitement. I, I think it's getting, the car's getting stale, getting real stale. Looking at F1, new cars every year, that's something about it, right? And uh, I'm not saying that uh, IndyCar goes that direction. I don't think it's it's that's a practical way to go, at least in this environment. Although there was a time curb, that it, that's the way it was, right? The good old days. The good old um, days. And not that long ago, I might add. Well, um, and, and also similar to Formula One is there were updates during the year. It wasn't just you were stuck with what you had uh, from day one. And, um, and again, I don't think either one of us are suggesting they go that route, but, um, how many different, how many different cars has NASCAR had, you know, chassis in the last, uh, you know, since 2012, when, in, when this chassis was introduced in IndyCar, uh, I don't know three, the answer, but it's two or three, three probably. Yeah, I think yeah. three. Yeah. And now, you know, you read stuff where they're testing electric cars and they're testing, they're already starting working on the next generation. Again, if you want to engage more fans and compete with these NASCAR, Formula One, et cetera, you need to give people something to get excited about. The, you look at IMSA, they've had great success kind of uh, with manufacturers and so forth by by kind of creating a chassis and then just giving a person a box to work within. Maybe that's a, a somewhat modified version of that is somewhere IndyCar can go. But at the end of the day, uh, this new hybrid thing, I think it might make the road courses and street courses more interesting, but I think it has every potential to be a mess on the ovals. And I don't think people really care so much about the engine. I think it's chassis, chassis, chassis. So I think, again, for the first point of the plan, yes, start working on a new chassis. It's uh, it's long overdue. I know Roger Penske's not a fan, but I don't, I don't understand how much longer he thinks he can go with this. Um, yeah. It seems it's it's bordering on ludicrous. Right. No, I agree. Let's alternate. You go you go next. All right. So my second point, um, and this is something I've banged on about several times in this podcast, so this may probably won't come as a shock to you, Curb. Um, create the franchise system for the teams. Give the team owners something of value. Uh, make it a club. If, you know, obviously the guys that are in there now, maybe they get a free invitation or, you know, a minimal expenditure to be in, but give them something, a franchise that they can sell to, you know, another team owner if they're excited about getting in and, and you know, give them, give them an asset instead of what it amounts to, I think, of a liability in general for most of these teams. The franchise system is, is critical to build value in the teams and stronger teams and better teams. Uh, will come out of it, and the stronger and better teams you are, the stronger and better the series will be. And I, this is just—I know they're talking about it now, but this is a no-brainer and has been a no-brainer, in my opinion, for three years. It didn't make my top five, but um, but anything that strengthens the teams, anything that, frankly, ties the teams to the series longer, strengthens that commitment both ways, um, would be a good thing. And so. I don't know how they do it. I don't know how that uh, would be set up, but um, but I well, I can't I, mean, I can't disagree that that'd be useful. There's plenty of examples out there. It's not like they have to reinvent the wheel here. I mean, uh, you know, other series have this. Um, it's not hard to figure out. Um, but I, I think it would create stronger teams. I think you know, if somebody gets like a, if you take a Hunkos the last couple of years and somebody say, hey, you know, 
Oh, hey, Ricardo, I want to buy your team. Maybe he sells it. Maybe he sells half of it. But at least he's selling something, you know? It's not just like Brad Hollinger coming in and, you know, kind of being an angel. Um, it's somebody buying as part of your asset. I just think it would just add a lot of – it would bring a lot of money into the teams and thus into the series. I think a challenge for uh, somebody like Roger Penske is you give up some control, right? I mean, you go from being a benevolent dictator to having to negotiate – franchise agreements or you know something like the concord agreement or i guess nascar is working on you know renegotiating whatever their uh, system and so um i could see that being a turnoff to roger penske um if you are the guy that's essentially keeping the series alive right the devil's in the details there what works for both sides you would think in the long run if they can turn indycar into a profitable operation for the series and the, the team owners, then that would make sense. I, I agree with you. Okay. Curb, what was your number two? I, I hate to say this being a lifelong resident of Indianapolis and, and uh, a lifelong fan of the 500, but they need to make their presentation of the series less Indy 500 centric and less Indy centric. They're, they're preaching to the choir and they need to start preaching to the congregation and trying to get more people to, Pay attention. I think they need to. It's, you mentioned Dan Gurney's white paper earlier. I don't know they've really come very far uh, because the whole point of that was they needed to build up the schedule outside of the Indy 500 and make all the events stronger. And we're kind of back back where they were at that time when they uh, created CART to try to accomplish that. And um, I think by uh, focusing more on these non-Indiana-based Indiana uh, fans and stop harping on the 500 at every event that you are broadcasting on TV is a better way to try to build up your fan base. Make St. Peter, make St. Pete the biggest event on its own in Florida. Make, you know, Barber the biggest event in Alabama on its own. Make those events important and pound that home in your broadcast and in your marketing around those events, rather than saying, Hey, Joseph Newgarden won the Indy 500 and he's, uh, you know, going to be here. I mean, that's, that's always been part of their marketing, but um, I just think that they need to broaden their horizons. If you can build fan bases in all these towns where you have consistent um, events, then those people will tune in to watch the 500, and they'll tune in to watch the race in Nashville, even though they live in you know Southern California or whatever. I, I think they cling to the 500 because it's the one only relatable thing they can convey to their audience at this point. You know, to the casual observer, it's like the only thing they know. I mean, um, you know, I had some people stay at my house a couple weeks ago, you know, some relatives and, you know, they are all over. They just, you know, had to watch the F1 race. You know, I mean, they didn't know the first thing. And these are, you know, like and they knew everything about F1. Right. And they and they knew nothing about it two years ago, three years ago. Right. But anyways, and my point being like. The only thing from IndyCar that they had any knowledge of was was the 500, right? And I think it's such a touchstone in that way. It's the only thing people have a half a clue about. So I, I understand why they're doing it uh, because, it, like I said, it's the only thing that's kind of being relatable to the you know mass at large. And and you know you're you you're born and bred Indiana, so you know it's. Your your view of this is, is is very skewed, if you don't mind me saying, or at least you know your your context is is skewed. I'm not saying you're not acknowledging that, but but 
you know, to the rest of the world, like any 500 is it. And I think that's your problem that you're, you're pointing out is like, yeah, that's what needs to be fixed. So I don't disagree with that, but I think the reason they're doing it is pretty obvious. Like it's the only thing that's relatable to people. Well, that may be, but the, the ratings for the Indy 500 keep going down too, right? The crowds are up. They're doing great in Indiana and Indianapolis with the in-person crowd. They keep, you know, they honestly have been going up every year for the last, you know, since the pandemic. It's unheard of, but the last two re- two, se- two years, I think they've been under 5 million viewers for the 500, which is unheard of historically. You want more people to watch 500, you got to go find them somewhere besides Indiana. Professionalize the operation more, and um, and I think that's from St. Pete to Nashville and every race in between. And um, I think it was St. Pete last year. You know, they're watching a good race at St. Pete. They're doing this, and all of a sudden, in the middle of nowhere, sticks in talking about the 500 again. I like the 500 more as much as anybody, but what does it have to do with this race in St. Pete? Curb, what's uh, your number three? They need to fix the schedule. They've been blaming it on everything under the sun for years. And the fact of the matter is their schedule is still screwy and uh, a point of contention all the time. I think to fix the schedule, they need to identify large population markets, invest in those markets, and make them work one way or the other. I don't care if it's Austin. I don't care if it's Phoenix. I don't care if it's Miami, you know, Dallas, Texas Motor Speedway. Pick a handful of those. Stick them where you need to stick them to fill out your schedule properly. I don't care if you're three weeks away from a NASCAR race. Just do it. Invest in them, market them yourselves so you can't blame anybody else, and make them work and build up those markets. Because I like mid-Ohio as much as anybody, but who lives in mid-Ohio? There's no population base there. There's no uh, community involvement. And same thing, Road America, again, great track in pushing the needle population-wise. Phoenix, Dallas, Texas, those are huge markets, and they just give up on them so easily. It's, It's maddening. Probably one of those things that's easier said than done, right? Um, the fact that, no, you know, the people who own these tracks tend to be uh, NASCAR affiliated is, is also a problem, right? Sure. Um, the sentiment, I agree. We've seen them give up a hundred times over, right? And it, it always gets too hard for them. Um, and uh, thus they miss out on the big market. I mean, it was just a flat out embarrassment what happened to them with uh, Texas this year, right? Um, right. I mean true snubbing i mean this this coming schedule is no bueno i didn't actually include the schedule um on my list at all there's five other things to me that are more important than the schedule um which kind of says something but at the end of the day uh yeah you're right not in line with your comments but you know pocono they just gave up on it right and right and so and, you and, know, they they had something going there, and they and they, and, and, and that, that's the least of you know that's got the weakest affiliation with NASCAR of any of these facilities that are available, right? Yep. And NASCAR took they used to have two NASCAR events, now they've only got one. They really could use you know another big event like an IndyCar race, and you you read in comment sections all the time about how there's nothing in the Northeast. North people in the Northeast don't have anywhere to go to watch a race. Watkins Glen is gone. They don't go to New Hampshire. They don't go to Pocono anymore. I would think that that family that owns that track would love to have IndyCar back. And if you don't trust them to market it, then work out a deal where they take, you know, they pay more sanctioning fee and you do the marketing or something. I don't know, but that track is there for the taking. It puts on a great show. Like all these places, it may take two or three years to get the people back, 
but you got you got to pick your spots and then go invest in them and make sure they work. Yeah. Yeah. Look at Iowa. They go and invest in Iowa, and next thing you know, NASCAR's like, hey, welcome <laughs> right. we'll to Iowa. Right. Um, yeah. It, Iowa isn't where they wanted to be, right? They wanted to be in Montreal. They go spend millions of dollars to race in a football stadium in Los Angeles. God knows how much they spent to do a street race in Chicago. NASCAR and Formula One, there are only so many uh, approved tracks for Formula One in America, and they don't. They don't have time of day to even look at, at Indianapolis as a as a venue anymore, right? They want Miami, they want Austin, Texas, they want Las Vegas. They all want the big crowds, the big population centers, the big hype. IndyCar can't settle. They got great. I mean, I I, I love Ohio and I love Road America and all these places, but they need to add some high population centers and build up their product there and and expand their base. Uh, Kurt, my number three, and I'm trying to think of a more elegant way to say this, and I've I've not come up real well with this, but it's basically to get some new, young, and professional blood into IndyCar management. It's the most broken down, old boys club uh, with, you know, that Doug Bowles, right? Great guy, all the things, you know, probably does a good job, but, you know, you don't want Doug Bowles, right? You don't want these guys that have been around forever that are love, you know, that, that that fell in love with Indy in a different era. You want some young kid that likes Formula One. Oh, what's IndyCar almost? You know, marketing whiz that that says, oh, geez, you know, I could turn this into something, right? And and their their management is so long in the tooth, so antiquated in their thinking, so Indiana. And, and as you know, Curb, I can't be more insulting than that, right? <laughs> that, you know, it, it's got to go. You got to get some guys in there that are going to bring some new ideas and break things. And I hate to say this, Roger Penske's going to have to relent. And maybe he can't. And it's and look, it's his it's his prerogative not to. But if he really wants to let the you know, you know if he is concerned about the existence of this of this of this program, this race, this this league beyond his existence, he needs to let go and let these guys do some of their stuff into the current century. It's it's uh, they still don't have a marketing manager. You still got Mark Miles out there flailing around saying everything's wonderful, right? The the you know we're not going to talk about it today, but you know the, this whole thing with the video games a, a joke, right? right? And I you know I I, I I would think Miles could be up to be fired on that basis, on that, you know, screw up alone. You know, and he's still out there today saying, well, you know, we'll see where we're at. Hell, right. the British touring cars have jumped out. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's a joke. They're 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 really, really, you know, and like I said, I, I'm sure the people they have there are good people, dedicated. They're probably hard workers. They're probably, you know, love, you know, IndyCar. They're, you know, they're probably you can't get a better group of people. They're more dedicated, but they are not going to bring anything fresh. And, you know, if if you don't refresh in this whole league soon, uh, your your whole fan base is going to die out. I mean, it already is happening. And and I think it's just going to die out more. And that that'll be the end of that. So they got to start encouraging. They got to get a marketing director. They've got to you know, they went a whole year without a marketing director. What does that tell you? They're pinching pennies that they're really not reinvesting in the business. And I think it's disgraceful. 
I, I, you know, as a business owner, sometimes you just got to say, you know what, I, I don't really agree with that, but let the let the let the kid have a go, right? Right. And uh, it's it is hard to let go, and I know that, and I you know I struggle with that in my own endeavors. But at the end of the day, sometimes if you got somebody that has some ambition and and some new ideas, maybe you should just let that go. Have you heard that they formally decided not to hire a marketing executive? I did not hear that, but that this, that just goes right to my point. Uh, this is an Adam Stern article, so this is a, you know, this isn't some uh, obscure fan site. Miles later told Sports Business Journal that the current set of Penske Entertainment and IndyCar executives believe they have a proper grasp on marketing the sport, which negated the need to follow through on making the hire. And that sounds like the classic example of a bunch of Indians and no chief, doesn't it? It also sounds like a classic, like, oh, we know what we're doing. But, you know, the, the evidence seems to point to the contrary. <laughs> I got to tell you, you know, especially this year, uh, this this last past year, 2023, and looking forward into next year, you know, with some of the debacles that are, you know, the schedule and, and you know, stuff around the engines and not bringing in a third engine uh, manufacturer being, uh, you know, not only not even in the conversation when it comes to to uh, uh, NASCAR or Formula One as far as the major racing series. I mean, how can you say that they've got this well in hand? That's a it's a it's a joke. I will uh, quibble on one thing. Um, Doug Bowles. I, I knew it. I knew you were going to defend Doug Bowles. Well, Doug you might Bowles, as well be Danica Doug, Doug, Patrick in your mind. Doug Bowles' job is the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. It isn't his job to run IndyCar or to promote IndyCar. Yes. And, um, you know, like I said, uh, uh, attendance keeps going up every year. They're adding events like the IMSA stuff and all this kind of thing at the Speedway. I I think, believe me, I think Indy, I think Doug Bowles is overexposed. Uh, but, um, but his focus is the Speedway and not the series. And he does a good job for the Speedway. And pumping up interest and, and attendance and that type of thing. Yeah, and I look, I don't want to disagree with any of what you just said. I picked on Doug Bowles because he's he's the classic kind of homer, in my opinion, that is pro- there's probably a bunch of other in, in that organization, right? That are just have fell fallen in love with the speedway or IndyCar, you know, from eras past and are therefore handicapped by that love. And, you know, and holding on to some traditional thinking of it, which, again, like I said, if this was, if this thing's going to be around 10, 15 years, uh, you're going to have to let some of that go. Keep the important stuff and let go of the other. But you're going to have to have somebody in there that's got a fresh perspective. And, I, and this is all cliche things to say, but I don't I don't think it's a cliche thing to say that's like, hey, start hiring some younger people. Start start doing some new things on your marketing front and see what happens. Let 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 some other people you have in charge. But you know, as you just said, or it has been reported, sounds like they're going the opposite direction. According to the series, um, they are making gains in in all these areas. But uh, yeah, like the ratings, like the TV ratings. If, if, if you read, <laughs> yeah, if you if you read down through it, first of all, a lot of their success and improvement is at the speedway. And the sponsorship levels and all that kind of thing and profitability at the, you know, they're getting more, they're working that track harder than they've ever worked it and they're getting return on it. And uh, I think Rogers, you know, run out of gravel lots to pay with asphalt. 
but he's, you know, certainly shined it up and they're doing a good job with the speedway, but they got to start putting that attention and that investment outside of Indianapolis and on the series as a whole and, and, and all these other events, just take the, uh, the leader circle competition, we'll call it towards the end of the season. As far as IndyCar was concerned, it didn't even exist. Right. But that could have been a huge storyline to promote and, and generate, articles and attention and, and so on and so forth. But for some reason, it doesn't appeal to um, Roger Penske or somebody else to have that be a storyline. Maybe they think it embarrasses somebody, or maybe they think it focuses on the guys who are struggling or something. And I don't know, but they need to, the one thing I'll say for formula one and Netflix is those guys, you know, they bared their, their souls, right? I mean, they, they allowed the cameras to go where they needed to go and, and tell the stories they wanted to tell. And, they all had to grin and bear it. And IndyCar, as you say, needs to get some younger, more modern, I guess, um, thinking in, inside its ranks. And they need to not be afraid of opening up and, and letting those stories be told. Kerb, how can they say they don't need a marketing director when we watched all of this year? Missing stories like that, missing stories like the engine um competition right engine manufacturer competition and you know what that could have turned in you know absolutely hopeless web presence couldn't um, you, couldn't, couldn't you uh, really uh, have a uh, fan-friendly storyline if you followed the pit competition shine a light on these guys that wear helmets and nobody ever sees them they're out there you know putting themselves in danger on these pit stops when these cars were speeding out at them you know inches away from their back heel as they're sitting there changing a tire or something. Wouldn't wouldn't that be a very popular thing to, to put a, a spotlight on those guys? I mean, there's a hundred of them, but I think that th- there's no time to do it because there's nobody to do it. So it's it's laughable to me. I, th- that was news to me that you just told me, but I mean, it's laughable to me to think, oh, like, yeah, we're so good that we don't need that. I mean, this this 2023 was a marketing debacle as far as I'm concerned. Social media, web presence, I mean, it's just, it remains to be, it's just awful. All right, Curb. Uh, I've got my two last ones are super important, I think. Tell me uh, what your number four is. It's been part of kind of this discussion in general, but I just I don't know how to describe it other than presentation. Just go to their you know podium presentation or go to any podium presentation at any race other than the 500. It's, it's rinky dink, right? I mean, it's just I don't. And like and you it, said, I think you said in one uh, podcast, and I agree with. Like I've seen better ones at you know high school track meets. Dude, my brother had a girl in the state track cross country meet last week, and I watched on on streaming. Their pro, their championship presentation blew IndyCars away. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Uh, and so uh, this is you know at a big field out in Terre Haute, Indiana. You know uh, the, uh, the one I the one I noticed at the end of the year was Laguna Seca. I don't know if you remember this, but I'll I'll try to keep it brief. Before the race, those guys, Diffie and Hinch and Townsend, are down there on the grid, and they're doing their pre-race stuff. There's a big crowd of people behind them, right? It actually looked like there were people there. And then after the race, and they do this at most races, right, the winner goes and hides behind the paddock somewhere at some, you know, cardboard stand they set up for, for a podium. And we're the fan. I mean, it looked it looked desolate around that championship podium compared to the fans that were in the grid, the starting grid before the race. And they do this everywhere almost. 
uh, Indy, Indy 500 is like the only place I can think of where they let the fans come on the track and they come up around the, the, the uh, winter circle and all that kind of stuff. But everywhere else, they seem to like go and hide it. I try to think of how they could improve without just blatantly copying any uh, Formula One. But what little I see at Formula One, when the race is over, they open up the gates and all the fans come storming across and make it a big scene around the, the podium, right? Yep. Whether, whatever they do, your impression is there's a bunch of people there celebrating with the winners. Yeah, there's energy. There's people cheering there. They don't do anything that special other than they just make it look more important. And uh, they make it look like a big deal. Um, you know, they each get up on their stand. They each get a trophy. And then they start spraying champagne and doing their music and spraying it on the crowd. The crowd's all loving it. And it's just, uh, and you know, it could have been the most boring race in the world for, you know, if it's a Formula One race. It usually still is. Do that stuff. Yeah. Right. But again, find a way to have storylines to talk about without shouting at each other, without shouting over each other without repeating the same thing 10 times during a broadcast. Well, you can only hope that Hinch, through his experience with uh, doing the F1 broadcasts uh, for uh, F1 TV, uh, brings some some wisdom back with him. Curb, uh, my number four, uh, something I've uh, prattled on about a bit as well in the past, but I think it's really, 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 really important, is they have to embrace gambling. They have to get people betting on IndyCar. You know, I, I've suggested time before, you know, opening up betting that, you know, obviously you'd have to get through the state and all that. Uh, opening up betting at the Speedway would probably be a great start. But just encouraging gambling, it's becoming uh, just you know prevalent through sport uh, throughout the world, right? I mean, it's like in Australia, for example, like, you know, rugby league. You know, if you didn't have gambling, I'm not even sure they'd have a league, right? But it's brought tremendous interest and uh, money into uh, rugby league in Australia just by, uh, you know, by people being able to take all kinds of bets. And, you know, if that guy's going to trip in the fifth minute or whatever, I mean, you can bet on anything. And, and, have, and bringing that into IndyCar would be a tremendous cash infusion if you could get – a substantial portion of people every week to bet on on uh, IndyCar. You you can do a bit of it now, and you can do it, but you it's you got to work pretty hard, and you got to work hard to find it. And it's not, but it, to make it a prevalent, have IndyCar embrace it, I think it would just bring a tremendous amount of money into the sport. Look at the USFL and XFL. Um, you know, it, they're merging, but at the end of the day, you know, I, I think the only reason either of those two uh, leagues existed and still exist and they're going to exist again as a merge but you know it's gambling that's that's kind of really behind that and you know it's going to make a kind of a losing concept a winning concept so embrace <clears> gambling <throat> and uh you know in in all ways you can and uh that's that's my message to indycar well um I, I will say it can't hurt. All right. I mean, it can't, it can't hurt. Um, you're, you may be onto something there. Um, I'm not aware of gambling being a big deal in Formula One or NASCAR. Um, but again, you got to find your own niche and you got to drive it for all it's worth and take that and merge it with my presentation idea uh, concerns and get somebody to be part of your show, right? Get somebody, you know, if I got a half an hour pre-race show, um, from St. Pete, have two minutes on gambling, how to place odds, where to go place your bets, and who this guy, some gambling expert recommends, right? Your own, have your own Jimmy the Greek. Well, 
Right. Without the racism. Right. Right. Um, and you know, if you, if you could, if you team up with somebody on that, then they probably activate during the week, right? Like giving you some, some coverage or exposure, you know, on Tuesday night's gambling show or something, or heaven forbid you create enough content that you have your own half an hour on Peacock every week or something, you know, midweek or something. I wouldn't have watched one minute of that USC Notre Dame game if I hadn't put 400 bucks on it. But because I put 400 bucks on it, I watched it, right? Close to it. Right. So I, I think that's, you know, <laughs> as soon as somebody places a bet on the, one of these races, they're going to watch. That's it. Simple. Well, well they're going to pay attention at least, right? I mean, they'll, yeah. they'll pay more attention than they do now. All right, Curb, uh, it's time for your fifth and most important point. I can't even imagine it being the same as mine, but let's see. Uh, probably not, and it may be redundant at this point, but uh, it just <laughs> social digital media, they got to do a hell of a lot better. And um, I don't know how to do it. You know, I don't know how to do it. I just know they don't do it well. I know this because, you know, I, I listened to Tony Kanaan on a podcast a few weeks ago. He says, he says, frankly, McLaren's got the best social media in the sport period. You know, they put IndyCar and, and all the other teams to shame, you know. And, and uh, you know, and when Jimmy Johnson was here, he put the whole series to shame. He had his own, you know, social media campaign going for himself at Carvana. I read somewhere one time that Formula One took off on social media when Formula One allowed the drivers and the teams to use the highlights without having to pay for them. Have you heard something about that? I have not. And I've seen they criticize IndyCar because IndyCar treats um, that kind of content as copyrighted material that if you want to use it, you'd have to pay us for it to to, to use it on your, if you're, you know, Tony Kanaan or jo- Joseph Newgarn or somebody, you'd have to pay IndyCar for the right to to use that those uh, highlights in your own digital media. It seems to me, given the success of Formula One, that they might want to rethink that, right? That that somebody like we talked about earlier, younger, more modern, with an approach to marketing and digital media and social media and all that stuff, would push for something like that because it'll pay them back tenfold, I think, versus what they would get from enforcing their copyright among their teams and drivers. The top IndyCar driver besides Romain Grosjean has 150,000 followers on Twitter or Instagram or something. I saw a headline the other day where Charles Leclerc had gone over 10 million followers. You know, Jimmy Johnson and the top NASCAR guys are over half a million. And these guys in IndyCar and these teams have little to no digital footprint at all. I think it's a very good point. I think um, it, 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 it's, it is a little redundant, but at the same time, it's, 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 it's worth going over. It's, it's, um, I think you explained it well. And I wouldn't think that'd be a huge investment, you know, higher, Hire a handful of people, fill your marketing position, and I don't know. But digital media seems relatively cheap compared to other sure. <laughs> other investments you have to make. No, in the in the bang for buck category, it's got to be one of the highest for sure. Right, right, for sure. All right, Curb, are you ready for my fifth and final point? I, I'm uh, seated solidly in my chair, holding onto the arms of the chair so I don't fall. Yeah, off. you better, because I don't think you're gonna like it. Okay. But I'm quite serious when I say this. Doesn't it have to do with Marty, does it? Marty Schneider? <laughs> it has nothing to do with Mary Schneider. Okay. Um, or Danica. <laughs> and I, I, it comes from a sad place for me because I think uh, it's 
it's not it's not the way going back i guess you know curb you and i were kind of younger and fans during you know what we consider the heyday you know um early early to mid 90s right and um saw some just you know tremendous times we saw the sport at its zenith uh we saw you know f1 starting to get very worried about you know and losing stars losing nigel mansell to indycar and and you know the reigning reigning formula one champion yeah um things that are just unthinkable now right right um i mean and and i think um so we saw it then and you know we you know it's it's what got us enthused about the sport it's it's probably why you and i are sitting here talking about it now so it's with a heavy heart that i say that and, and i'm dead serious when i say it that i really believe that indycar probably needs to start exploring strategic alternatives with uh, liberty media slash f1 at the end of the day liberty media has done a fantastic i mean maybe by luck uh you know through drive to survive and some of these other things i think we've talked about the the kind of luck aspect of that and the timing that happenstance and so forth but at the end of the day um the real pros in the room are those guys in my opinion uh and they've they've shown it they've demonstrated it to me i i'm not sure indycar can go on much longer I, i really do believe this the way it is i think this i think you know, the, this next TV package could be a real struggle for them. Um, I think there, you you aren't seeing new things. You're not seeing new cars. You're not seeing anything. I think maybe there's a, a deal to be worked out with Liberty where you get brought in kind of under their uh, under their thing. It's it's yes, it's going to look like a feeder series to F1 or a sideshow to F1, but it would be um, I think more akin to you know what do they call it? Uh, uh, what do they call the NASCAR Junior Series? Xfinity. Uh, Xfinity. I think it'd be more akin to that, and then you'd have the 500, which would still be a big deal. But you know, again, you know, you bring in the true pros in to really make it the world event that it once was. Um, and you know, obviously, they would go way out of their way to kind of maybe you know maybe include it with uh, monaco and its promotion and so forth and just make it a, a wonderful day of racing overall i i think it's time to start having those talks if they're not having them already and i'm sure you know for a guy like roger penske he might be too proud but i'm telling you uh the, the formula one now is so big liberty me is so big the the numbers are staggering uh, on all counts um if if you want to grow the IndyCar in a meaningful way, it's probably going to take some big money and some big big uh, presence, and I think it's sitting right there. And I think if Liberty Media says, "Hey, Texas, uh, we're going to put our IndyCar race on uh, you know, the week we said we were going to do in our contract," I bet they do it. Yeah, well, yeah, they're certainly a 500-pound gorilla or however many pounds of gorilla, but um. Yeah, my pride probably wouldn't let me do it, but I am sure that if Liberty Media chose to uh, make that investment and um, and make that effort, I'm sure I'm sure it'd be more successful. Um, you know, it, that would be a lot of things we talked about just on steroids, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, um, and yeah, they may have had some good fortune, but they also invested like hell 
in what they were doing. And they did some few things that I don't think worked that well, but, um, but still they kept making the effort. They spent that money and went back to the drawing board and did it again. And, uh, but if you read, uh, some of the things they did, I mean, they just, they bought F1 then they went and hired executives away from ESPN and all the top entertainment industry people and put them to work on formula one. And, and, uh, and they invested and they're getting their, they've, gotten their return on their investment really what indycar needs to do is is to match that kind of investment on the scale that indycar is at but uh but the shortcut the steroid version would be what you're saying i can't i can't say you're you're wrong there as you said i would have a hard time swallowing it but uh no i i i understand that i mean i knew you would have a hard time swallowing it but I mean, I think it it checks a lot of boxes, right? It doesn't look if IndyCar's. I mean, IndyCar, let's face it, is kind of turning into this, you know, regional endeavor. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, uh, and it's it's hard to say anytime in the you know the near future they're going to grow out of that. I don't know. And like I said, you know, maybe IndyCar starts going to the markets that you know. I mean, Formula One's starting to top out on how many races they can have. I don't, you know, there's not many more markets they can go to, right? Right. Um, but there's still markets out there that could be served um, that are still big markets that could be served. Um, and maybe, you know, a, a link with uh, Liberty would be, would be an opportunity to do that. And, you know, I know they're talking about, you know, a non-points paying race in Argentina and all that kind of stuff. I, mean, I don't know if you pay any attention to the uh, Argentinian elections, but they didn't look exactly above board. Um, and so, well, OK, let's just say. They, the results seemed a bit difficult to believe. Okay. And so. Well, is that in IndyCar's favor or not? I, 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 it's kind of like, do we really want to go get into that mess? You know what I mean? And. Uh, well, well they, they've, they've shown a willingness to get in those messes before. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, look, look who they chose to, to produce their video game. Um, right. But, you know, Liberty's not going to make those kind of mistakes. Right. And they've got enough marketing power. They could really, you know, they are the gorilla in the room. And I think, you know, that all of a sudden would put the other competitors with IndyCar, i.e. Uh, IMSA and uh, and NASCAR, uh, literally on their back heels. I think that that would that would make them uh, quite fearful of what could be. So I throw it out there. Uh, I think it's. It's something that should happen uh, after giving it much thought. Okay, but you, you talk about uh, Formula One not being able to fulfill all of its opportunities. Um, where would you see IndyCar racing under a Liberty umbrella? Well, I mean, th- that's a very difficult question to answer. But, I mean, my guess is that, you know, if, if you were linked up in that way, you know, there would be some – some tough deaths, right? Uh, a mid Ohio, probably, you know, uh, um, you know, probably a Milwaukee would probably quickly go by the wayside in some of the weaker races, right? Um, but they could be replaced by big market races. Okay, um, but but here, you also just said that NASCAR would become fearful of a Liberty IndyCar tie-up, right? Yep. So then, does NASCAR make all their tracks available to you? Are you are you that strong that they can't resist you? I don't know, I, but maybe you don't need them. You know, maybe you uh, go to uh, trying to think of a big uh, big country without uh, a race. And there's plenty of them. 
Well, um, so I mean, are you, does that mean you're taking IndyCar International? Yeah, maybe you do. Maybe you go to the, you know, what they call it, the Lazar Ring in Germany, you know, or uh, maybe you go. Uh, there's several, obviously, several uh, venues in Europe you could go to, several countries that don't have Formula One races that you could go to. Maybe you don't go to Europe at all. Maybe you do the South America thing that we've always talked about and, uh, you know, do that in a bigger way, you know. You'll probably get into Mexico with Liberty behind you. Yeah, you know, might have another race in Mexico, you know, and maybe uh, maybe there's a, you know, a drive to survive for Indy, too. Right. You know, it's just the same format, but for the the other Formula One series for Liberty, they're not going to mind promoting it. They're not going to mind promoting it to, you know, Charles Leclerc's 10 million followers. The simplest and cheapest thing they can do is tell their people to stop talking down and you start talking it up. I mean, all <laughs> take that whole paddock. It's everything you've been saying about IndyCar. Turn it around, uh, you know, 100, 180 degrees and, and talk up all your friends in IndyCar. Talk up that great race at Nashville or whatever. And let's face it. I mean, Roger Penske bought the whole kit and caboodle for next to nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, he didn't spend a lot of money for the, you know, I know it's, I mean, relatively speaking, I don't think he spent right. a lot of money for the Indy, uh, Indy 500, right? No, no sure. Um, I mean, that's pocket change. The freaking liberty at this point. Um, without without a doubt, um, your number one takes everything we talked about in numbers two through five, and just puts it on steroids. And maybe that is the easiest way to do it. Um, well, it is the easiest way to do it. Whether it's the most satisfying way to do it is a different story. Go You'd back. have a third engine manufacturer in a in a thirty seconds. Yeah, but go back to what you just said about Roger Penske buying the Speedway in the series for a song. In real estate terms, that was a value-add acquisition. And part of a value-add acquisition is I paid this, but I also figured into my calculations that I'm going to spend, I paid X, but I got to spend Y to make it worth Z, right? Yeah. He's got to spend the Y somewhere besides the Indianapolis Motor Speedway to to get that return on that value-add acquisition that's the, that the IndyCar series. And yeah. I'm sure the the retort to that is, well, he did spend the Y, you know, COVID came and and he spent all the Y or most of the Y. Yeah, that's them's the breaks. <laughs> I want to see you go up to him and say that to him, to his <laughs> face. <laughs> I'd love to see that. Okay, Let's see what happened. He, he's <laughs> he knows he knows it's true, right? I mean, that's just those are things that happen. You gotta deal with it. I would and think move so. On. Yeah, I would think so. But so. I, I, nevertheless, I think it would probably, might infuriate him. Um, <laughs> sure, I don't. I wouldn't blame it for socking me one. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Curb, uh, I think that winds it up. I uh, I enjoyed that. I, how did you feel about it? That was a good exercise. It was yeah. like uh, it was cathartic, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah, All the things we've been trying to articulate all this time. Yeah, it's cathartic. A couple of new, newbies thrown in there. Eric Curb, we've uh, yunted on a long time. Well, we had a lot of pent-up uh, energy there. So, um, But thanks to everyone who's still listening. And uh, oh, we've got an X handle, right? We do. At Hero IndyCar. At Hero, H-I-R-O IndyCar. Uh, there was a couple of tweets uh, or uh, Xs or whatever you call them now that went out today. I saw the one on the game. Uh, I must have missed the other one, but I'll go look for it. 
And uh, do we have any uh, sponsors of this mega show? Uh, Hash Hive. Hash Hive coming soon. Hash Hive coming soon. Before or after the uh, IndyCar video game? Oh, I'd say well before. Okay, good. <laughs> All right, Curve. Great to talk to you. Goodbye, everybody.